He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Howdy, it's Laura Giles, your host for Let It Go Now, where we talk about letting go of the things that stand in the way of your happiness, success, relationships, and just you living your best authentic life. And we have a special guest today. I'm here with Art Wheeler, who is a full-time musician, prolific composer, author of a crazy number of books. Art plays 13 instruments, I think, um, in most world genres and has performed for five presidents the Supreme Court, and has performed with James Brown and Aretha Franklin. Thanks for being here, Art. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Yeah. So now you got started in music as a child, and I know lots of kids dream of a life of playing music for a living, but you have actually accomplished it. So what were some of the obstacles, and how did you overcome them? Uh, some of the obstacles? Uh, well, I would say my first obstacle was when I went to Catholic school, I had to take piano lessons, about which I was excited, but the teacher wanted me to sit up straight, not talk, and read only the music. In other words, the teacher wasn't showing me new little pieces that I wanted to learn. In other words, the teacher didn't understand the most prolific way to teach is the same way that a child learns language. The child doesn't learn to sit up straight and read Shakespeare. The child learns to copy the parents and those around the child, and then the child learns to have conversations. Then the child at seven years old goes to the first grade and learns to read. In other words, I wanted to learn to play all the stuff I was hearing, rock and roll, classical, boogie-woogie, etc. And she said, stop playing that. That's terrible. So Hmm. that was my first obstacle. So I quit taking piano lessons, but I simply went home and continued to practice. Hmm. So it sounds like it sounds like you weren't an eccentric child who was focused and driven. So did you have the normal um, childhood distractions like girls and uh, just trying to figure life out? Early on, I didn't. But I'd say starting around uh, 13 or 14, I did. But I still, at that level, was in love with practicing the piano and learning more about the patterns in music. So it helped me really uh, survive the emotional struggle with having a relationship uh, or being thrown out of school because I talk too much, et cetera. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think a lot of artists can get caught up in the whole I'm not good enough speech when they have a big break. And you've played with some well-known greats and have also played gospel music in African-American churches with P. 
people like Reverend Jesse Jackson. And I'd imagine that that could get some side eye because of your skin tone. So you are not African-American, just for people who can't see you. I was going to intervene by saying I was on the radio not so long ago, and I said, wait a minute. If human life began in Northwest Africa, I'm not Anglo-Saxon. I'm (laughs) Afro-Saxon. And that's the geographical fact. Well, but surely, well, not surely. So I'm taking that for granted. I would imagine that there are some people who had some stuff to say, or maybe it was your own inner voice. So how did you deal with that? Or did that even happen? Did you get some self-doubt or were other people saying you can't do that? Are you talking about playing in the African-American church? Or or just music in general? Yes, I've been through a number of struggles and this is an example of, this is going to sound terribly narcissistic, but everyone has an ingenious brain. So if I said I had an ingenious brain, I'm not being egomaniacal. Everyone has an ingenious brain that's operating 96,000 miles of blood vessels, 700 billion times a trillion number of atoms, etc. So we have an ingenious brain. So when I say this, it's not being egomaniacal. A genius is never ahead of his time. The people are behind theirs. And because I've been so passionate and obsessive compulsive about studying and learning patterns, since I was 14, I've had to deal in every single situation with at least one person, I'm sorry to say, who was envious or jealous and started cursing and then quit the band. Mm. Yes. And at first, it disturbed me a little bit, but then I realized, oh, I understand. I simply did my homework, and the other person was intimidated that he would be exposed for not doing his homework. I think that's an exceptional attitude, though. I know what you're saying, but I think most people don't do that. How did you, how did you cultivate that? Well, because I simply loved what I was doing, And I realized that work begets work. And I realized, philosophically speaking, that like begets like. So I realized I'm not going to let this undermine my progression. I'm simply going to continue to love what I do personally and work. In other words, I haven't been looking for fame or money I've been loving what I do, even when I'm at home by myself. I love it. And I realize this is wonderful that I love what I do, even if I'm doing it by myself. Did your parents model that? Well, when I was 17 years old playing in Nashville and went to the Grand Ole Opry, uh, I realized I think I need to get more serious about practicing. So I went and talked to my parents, and my mother said, yes, you can move back in. We'll buy you a piano. And I started practicing eight to ten hours a day. I would get up when they went to work at six in the morning and practice till they came home at five in the evening. But my father came in one day, and he said, why don't you get a job and stop this? Mm. In other words, I had a challenge there, but I continued mm-hmm. to love and work. So tell me more about that. You're dead, and why don't you get a job? Because I think that's that's a common thing for people who want to be in the performing arts, that, that not necessarily a parent, but somebody thinks that that's not 
important or they're not going to be able to support themselves and that, you know, you get, need to get a quote-unquote real job? Well, um, my parents are gone. I hope they're in the one most wonderful place. But I came from, I'm sorry to say, a dysfunctional family in which I didn't see love and loving friendship. So I didn't really know what that was. And my father was not happy with what I was doing. So I stayed there for about another two years. I was practicing and studying. When they would come home, I would read books and study. And then about two years later, I moved out. So all I'm saying is I I began in a dysfunctional situation, and I was looking subconsciously for my identity. And I found part of my identity in loving what I do, and that is and was studying music. And then I was inspired studying music to go, wait a minute, this is an emotional language. Why don't I study the oral language? And that inspired me to start studying the dictionary and the 171,476 words that are in the Oxford English Dictionary. And then that inspired me to also study philosophy. So it really opened my mind to be curious about everything from astronomy to zoology. Yeah, I think curiosity is just can open so many doors in, in so many realms. Yes, um, if I may, if yes, if I may state this, the theme of science sounds logical. The theme of science is data trumps speculation. But what is not stated in that remark is all data is gathered first by curiosity and speculation. In other words, Galileo was speculating and curious about, wait a minute, I believe the sun is the center of the solar system. And when he found a a telescope from Lippershe and looked at the the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets, he went, wait a minute, the, the earth is not the center of the solar system, the sun is. All I'm saying is, it is curiosity. And when you hear this idiom, curiosity kills the cat, that's a mispronunciation of a Shakespeare remark. He said, too much care will kill the cat. And that was a metaphor he was talking about in a relationship. If you're doing too much care and trying to teach your partner, you're going to mess it up. Hmm. And, it, and then over time, it was mispronounced that curiosity killed the cat. Hmm. Curiosity is vital. Yeah, yeah. So the curiosity, the studying languages, the writing books, which we actually haven't talked about, exploring different music genres and playing all these instruments, all of that sounds like a conscious choice to do what you love and show the world who you are rather than to fit into a formula and please others. A lot of people have this vision to not be a sellout. sounds like you have maintained that. All I can say is love, true love, real love, will grow exponentially. And the example that I often give is if one gets a penny on the first day of a 30-day month and doubles it each day, and for those who know arithmetic, if you get a penny on the first day of a 30-day month, then you're going to double it for 29 days. So if you want to look this up on Google, 2 to the 29th power. 
My point is, if you get a penny on the first day of a 30-day month and you double it each day, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 10, 24, 20, 48, 40, 96, et cetera, on the 30th day, you'll have $5,368,709.12. I learned slowly that everything in the universe that we've observed starts to grow slowly at first and then grows exponentially. So as I started to experience this, this exponential love and passion, I went, wait a minute. That philosopher, Augustine, made a remark that I'm following, and that is a man or a lady who loses himself in his passion has lost less than he who loses his passion. So my point is, I believe that it's important to teach little children to find something you love to do and do it for the rest of your life. Don't just get a job that you don't like and go home and just have dinner and go to bed. Have a passion in your life. And I found it, and it grew and is growing exponentially. I think lots of people have said that, and yet they're they're hungry and not eating. So what I'm asking is how do you – yes, yes, I totally agree with what you're saying. How do you do that and still eat? Well, I've learned that, number one, I'll try as a soldier, I will as king. Number two, I've learned that it's discipline, not desire, that determines destiny. So don't stop. Okay. <laughs> don't stop. And with respect to that, I also discovered, wait a minute, I'm in a mortal coil, a human body, by some metaphors, some would call it a temple. I went, wait a minute, why don't I use the same discipline for this? I've got 78 organs, 206 bones, 650 muscles, 640 skeletal, 32 trillion cells, 700 billion times a trillion number of atoms, three pounds of brain, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I said, why don't I take care of this? Use the same discipline. So I started a perfect diet that contains 16 minerals, 13 vitamins, and water, and working out every single day, and I haven't had even a cold in 37 years. So wow. that was that was another tremendous clairvoyant epiphany that it's discipline and repetition and perfect repetition that will yield intuition and fruition. So I've learned now, don't stop. Does that work for geography too? So what I mean is, I don't know where the music hub is these days, but you talked about Nashville. I know Motown used to be. Maybe New York. I don't know. But you don't live in any of those places. No, so uh, you, Motown used to be in Detroit, and then it moved to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Well, you don't live in any of those places. So would you would you say that that's a barrier to – well, clearly it's not a barrier to being a working musician in your case. But how did you get around that? Well, uh being, if I may say, blessed with a miracle of working in the African-American church, it took me all over the United States. So I got to make connections wherever I went, whether it's with Los Angeles or New York or uh, New Orleans. And that just grew again exponentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was playing one night in New Orleans, which is an, a unique part of the United States. And I uh, 
man came up to me when I took a break and he said, how do you know how to play like that? And I said, well, I just do my homework. He said, I'm James Brown's manager. I said, really? He said, yeah, you want to play with James Brown? I said, yes. So it's just been an amazing experience to be playing in different areas, different ethnicities, and meeting new people and making new connections. And the only reason that I make that connection is I've done my homework and I'm continuing to do it. In other words, Einstein said it best, the most incomprehensible component in the universe. Now, what in the world could that be? He said the most incomprehensible component in the universe is that it's comprehensible one component at a time for the obvious is often hidden until simply expressed. So that just empowered my passion to look for the patterns and then the pattern Mm -hmm. under the pattern. And then I came up with a pattern is a copy of a design. Study, learn, memorize every pattern that you find. And then that inspired me to go with probably the most controversial question of all time, and that is, are we just the robotic result of a random dance of atoms, or are we created? And I was working on having a debate with, and I loved him, uh, the um, amazing physicist uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, he passed away before we could get together because he made a remark that really arrested my attention, that we are just the robotic result of a random dance of atoms. In my opinion, that doesn't sound logical that inanimate material substance would produce all of this unbelievable order and human consciousness and the desire for worth. So it's just simply said, one passion has begotten another passion, etc. Mm-hmm. And I find out that they're all related. That is, Pythagoras said, everything is a number. And then Plato said, the secrets of the universe lie in music. Because it's not only numeric, that is, you tighten the strings or blow hard to a tube or less hard, He said it's also an emotional language. It enlightens the mind through its numbers and ennobles the soul through its spiritual sway. So I went, wow, I'm working on this incredible, mysterious, emotional language, music, and Plato made that remark about it. That the secrets of the universe lie in music. Because it's both numeric and spiritual. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely think that you have made the point that be passionate. And I think the more passionate you are, the easier it is to be passionate about everything because it is all connected and one thing does lead to the next. And I was going to ask you how how you got to be so diverse in your musical expression because you've done the gospel, as you've mentioned, the silent film, musical musical scores, you've done orchestral. And I think, I'm I'm guessing it's just because, you know, one thing leads to another. Well, generically said, one thing leads to another. However, uh, when I was a little baby, uh, I didn't know my father until I was about seven, seven and a half. He was in the Army. 
And my mother was poor, and she worked like 12 hours a day. And she hired three ladies to take care of me, Connie, Alberta, and Ruth. And they were African-American ladies. And they exposed me to their ethnicity, and they brought records over. So I heard all kinds of blues and gospel. Then my sister, who was 10 years older, was playing a little piano in the next room. And then on TV, when I was two, three, four, five years old, I watched Leonard Bernstein on the weekend when he had a fantastic show called uh, the Children's, uh, I forget what it's called, but Leonard Bernstein, the Children's Symphony, something like that. And he was teaching children on TV classical music. So I heard all of these styles, and they just immediately impounded me and arrested me for the rest of my life. That's awesome. And then, when, and then when I discovered philosophically that music is a mysterious emotional language, I then became very curious about there are 196 countries in the world. I became curious about, okay, how do they, how do they profess their surprise, happy, anger, fear, dread, depression, disgust through music? I became passionate and arrested with learning all of the styles and now that you have Google, you know, you can ask it anything and hear something. But back yeah. in the day, you had, you had to buy the records or the CD. Mm-hmm. So I simply, simply said I was passionate, loved it. It grew exponentially, and I simply did my homework. So what's your next big thing? What you working on? Well, my next big thing is I just finished composing 30,000 silent film ideas. That is, if somebody laughs, if somebody dies, if somebody cries, I've got musical moments. It might last five seconds. It might last one minute. I've got everything to punctuate every moment in a silent film. So when the <laughs> pandemic settles down, I'm going to do a silent film at the Paramount so I can fill the uh, stadium. And then I'll do it as a benefit for the Haven. I've been doing silent films for years. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited. And again learning how to find sounds or music that addresses these emotions continues to inspire me. And it inspires me about the mystery of being alive. So then again, it excites me to be philosophic. And real quick, Mm -hmm. the word philosophy, philo in Greek means love, and sophie means truth of wisdom. So Mm -hmm. Aristotle made a remark that I follow. He said, philosophy is not a body of dogma. It's an act of clarification. A man wants to know. So it's just continuously inspiring me to study. Yeah, I get that. And the origin of the word study means eager. Fabulous. Well, thanks so much for joining us. How can folks find you? Absolutely. I'm honored And again, remember what Mark Twain said, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Thank you infinitely. Sure. So do you have a website or a social media presence? Uh, Yes. Uh, I have uh, a Facebook, Art Wheeler Charlottesville. Uh And also I have a number of performances on there. And also, if one wants to hear some of my recorded music, 
Uh, I have forthcoming 20 CDs, but currently I have about 10 on Art Wheeler Charlottesville Bandcamp. Okay. Cool. Thanks so much for sharing. Everything is possible, guys. You just have to get out of your own way, as Art Wheeler can attest. Thank you so much for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe so you're alerted when each new episode drops. See you next week. Yes. Thanks, Art. I'm, I'm validated and honored. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.